You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. Uh, today, we're going to finish our series in Second Peter, and I've, I've enjoyed this. No, I was going to say I've enjoyed this series. It's been a good series for me. I haven't enjoyed it. <laughs> it feels like it's been correcting in my spirit at times where I've had to ask myself, okay, God, where is my heart? Uh, what is my motivation? God, check my spirit. Make sure I'm right with you. Um, but basically, this series was, the, the, this letter was written from Peter to the churches in Asia Minor. Uh, he had written a previous letter. It was First Peter. We went through First Peter together back in the spring, back in March. And Second Peter is different in that First Peter was a letter of encouragement to these churches. Second Peter is a letter of correction because they had followed, fallen into some false doctrine. They were starting to believe some things that were not true about who Jesus is and, and his teachings and some of the teachings of the, the apostles. And so Peter's trying to fix this. He's trying to bring correction to them. And what we see overall is that there is this rebuke against these false teachers. So there's strong language about these false teachers that they have invited to speak into their lives, essentially. And so Peter is trying to fix this and correct this. And this is toward the end of his life. It's actually not long before he's executed for his faith. And he knows this is coming because he's probably already imprisoned at this point when he writes this letter. And so he writes this, this kind of final letter, this opus to the church to help them see what's really important. And what he highlights over and over is, um, well, it's just being, having fidelity toward Jesus Christ, just remembering who Jesus is and what he's done, um, being true to what God has called us to do. So what we saw in week one of chapter one of second Peter is that he challenges the reader to, to grow in their faith to grow in the, the, into the image of Jesus Christ, that no matter where we are, no matter how old we are, there's still room for us to grow in our faith. And he talks about this in chapter one. And he actually says, if you aren't growing into the likeness of Jesus, then you're becoming ineffective, unfruitful, short-sighted, and blind. But if you're growing into the likeness of God, then you're productive and useful. And that's our goal is to be productive and useful for the kingdom of heaven. And then last week, we were talking through this idea. We talked heavily about false prophets and who they are and what they do, and that all of us can be false in our faith. All of us can say one thing and do another. All of us can drift from the path that God has for us to uh, our own selfishness and our own ways. And so one of the challenges I gave you last week was to focus on truth instead of your feelings. When we can focus on the truth of God instead of our feelings, it anchors us in a healthy place. Uh, and the second part of that is that we live a life of confession and repentance, that, that we live a life that is marked daily by my willingness to confess that I'm a sinner. And I'm, not that I'm getting saved every day. My salvation is secure. The grace of God is strong. But every single day, I admit my need for Jesus, that I confess my sins to him. I repent to him. And also we talked about in James chapter five, where it says, confess your sins one to another that you may find healing and the fervent effectual prayers of a righteous man availeth much. So what do we do? We confess our sins to each other, not so we can be absolved or forgiven, but so we can find healing from the shame that covers us. And so that's where we left off last week. And this is where we're going to jump in this week. Second Peter chapter three, verse one goes like this. 
This is my second letter to you, dear friends. And in both of them, I tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I love this. He says, I'm trying to stimulate your, your wholesome thinking. What he's saying is, I want you to think the right way. I want you to think righteously. Don't think like the world thinks. I want you to think righteously. I'm trying to stimulate this. I'm trying to stir this up. And then he says, and refresh your memory. What's he trying to refresh his, our memory of? Well, he mentions several things throughout this section of the letter. The first is this. He says, I want you to remember what the holy prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. So he says, I want you to remember what the prophet said and remember what Jesus said. And here's the thing. When Peter was writing this letter, it had not been canonized as scripture yet. So it had not been included as the Bible. And so Peter doesn't know this is going to be held in esteem in the same way the Old Testament is. But he's referring back when he says the prophets, he's talking about the prophetic books of the Old Testament. He's saying, remember what the prophets said. And let me take a little bit of liberty here. Remember what the Old Testament says. And then he says, and remember what Jesus commanded through the apostles. So he's saying, remember what Jesus said. Remember what the prophets said. He's saying, essentially, anchor yourself to the word of God. Remember what the word of God says. And here's where we get into danger so many times in our lives. We get into a danger zone when we forget what the word of God says. Well, I mean, but I, I feel this way. Well, you don't understand we're really in love. You don't understand. And it's tied to feelings. But when we come back to, well, what does the word of God say about this? It helps us divorce ourselves of our feelings and anchor ourselves to the truth of what, who God is and what God has said. So he says, remember the word of God, essentially. And then he says in verse three, and most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last day, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. So again, we come back to this idea. In the last days, mockers will come, scoffers will come mocking the truth and they're living according to their own desires. So what are they doing? They're, they are disregarding the truth. And not only are they ignoring the truth, they're mocking the truth and they're living according to their feelings in the last days. It says in verse four, they will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again for from before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They're saying, I got plenty of time. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus is coming back. Probably, I mean, but come on. I mean, we've been saying that forever. So we got time. Oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus is coming back, but just not anytime soon. We got, we got plenty of time. We can, we can get forgiven for that later. Let's just do this. Let's just live this way. Let's just disregard, cast off Scripture and our, our, our connection to, our affinity for Scripture and our connection to the truth. And let's just do what we want. We got plenty of time. We can ask forgiveness later. I told the other services, um, when I was a kid, when um, I struggled understanding grace, as, as many adults do today, um, but I struggled and I just thought anything I did would send me to hell. And I thought, well, here's my deal though. I'll just, I'll just ask forgiveness at the last second if I have to. 
So I just imagined as like, um, you know, like a seven-year-old, I'm in a car accident and I'm bleeding out and I'm laying there and I know that I've got all this sin in my life. I just go, and Jesus, forgive me of my sin, amen. And like, that would be it. Not even a deathbed confession. It's like side of the road, car crash confession. That's what I was imagining as a little boy. Like, okay. And that's our own human flesh saying, hey, how can I do what I want to do and still get to heaven? And this is what will happen in the last days. There will be mockers. There will be scoffers who make fun of what is true and what is right according to the purposes and plans of God. And they're going to do whatever they want to do. They're going to follow their own desires. They're going to say, oh, Jesus is coming back and it's going to be a long time. We can do whatever we want. We'll actually talk more about that idea in a minute. Last days. I've heard more about the last days in the last few weeks. I've talked to more people about the last days in the last few weeks because of what's going on in Israel right now. And if you have not been paying attention, there's a little bit of a skirmish in the Middle East between Israel and the Palestinians, a terrorist group called Hamas. And this might be offensive to you, but I believe this is not a political statement. This is a moral statement, and this is a biblical statement that um, I believe Islam is full of people who, most of which are well-intentioned, but Islam is a religion birthed by Satan himself. And the actions of the terrorists and the things they did and what they perpetrated on the Israeli people um, is horrific and it's satanic. And um, they're still God's chosen people. And God's gonna use them to help bring about the last days. Um, And so what we're seeing, I've had many people nervous and say, Mel, is this, are, are we in the last days? What's gonna happen? And some of you right now are wondering the same thing, aren't you? And here's the thing. Um, I believe that we are moving into the last days. In fact, if, if you want to read about what Jesus says about the last days, he's asked about it by his disciples in Matthew chapter 24. And we're going to read a couple of sections of that today, but we, we don't have time to get into all of it. Matthew 24 verse 4, Jesus is asked, they ask him, what's going to happen in the last days? And Jesus says, don't let anyone mislead you for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and they will deceive many. And you'll hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all this is only the first of the birth pains with many or with more to come. So he says, this is just the beginning. So those of you that have had kids, you'll understand this. With, with our girls, when Kim was pregnant, in the first service I said when we were pregnant, and then I had to correct it and go, it was mostly Kim, mostly. <laughs> and she would get contractions. I said, we would get contractions. And she was like, uh, excuse me? And okay, she would get contractions. So the first time you have a baby, you don't know. And you're like, whoa, I'm having a contraction. You call the doctor. You're like, doctor, I had a contraction. And they go, okay, how far apart are they? And you, how far apart? And you're like, oh, it's 15 minutes apart. And like, don't even call me again. Leave me alone. Don't call me back until they're closer together, you know. But you don't know. And the closer the birth pains begin to come, those contractions come, the, the more imminent the birth of the child is. 
And so Jesus said, hey, here's what it's gonna look like in the last days. And he says, this is the beginning of the birth pains. And so what I want you to hear is this. Uh, I believe what we're seeing in the Middle East, what we're seeing going throughout the world is the beginning of birth pains. The contractions have started. They're still spaced out though. So this sounds like it's contradictory because Jesus said the, the scoffers will mock the truth and they'll say Jesus isn't coming back essentially. And I will say um, Jesus is coming back and we know this season, but we don't know exactly when the baby's coming. But we know that the pains have started. So we need to start getting ready. This is the wrong time to start painting the baby's room right? The baby's room should already been painted by the time the birth pains come. That makes sense to anybody? You, you prepare ahead of time and then you get ready in that moment for what's to come. And this is what Jesus is saying. Now, here's the deal. Um, I don't want anybody to be nervous or anxious about what's going on in our world. As Christians, we shouldn't be. Uh, we, have, we have a promise from our heavenly father. He's a good father, Okay? And we could talk about pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation, the thousand-year reign. All, we could talk through all that stuff today, uh, but we don't have time to, and that's not where we're at. I just want you to know this. My staff, um, when, they don't, when they're not doing well, they don't look forward to, to reviews. But if they're doing well, they're excited about the review. Does that make sense? And if, if you are doing well, if you're doing what God's called you to do, if you're living the way God's called you to live, then there should be no fear for judgment. You should be okay. But if you start getting nervous about judgment, and Peter talks about judgment in these next few passages, if you get nervous about judgment, that might be, a, a, that might be the check engine light going on, saying, hey, you need to check some stuff. There's something wrong here. You need to pay attention but you shouldn't be nervous. I don't know what ex exactly is going to happen, but I know God's good. I know he's faithful and I know he loves his church. So you don't have anything to worry about or be anxious about. Be at peace in the name of Jesus. Verse five, remember we're going back to false teachers. It says, they deliberately forget what God made, uh, that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. And by the way, my new heavy metal album is called Stored Up for Fire. It's coming out this week. Check it out. <laughs> no, thank you. It says the heavens and earth, the present heavens and earth are being stored up for fire. They're being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. I want you to catch that, when ungodly people will be destroyed. So that should not produce fear and anxiety for believers, but what it should produce is urgency. Every one of us who call ourselves believers should have a sense of urgency that lost people are going to be judged and they're gonna be judged by a righteous judge. Is God loving? Absolutely, he's loving. But he is righteous and he is holy. And that should spur us on to share our faith willingly and boldly with people who need to hear it. Because there are people in your house, there are people in your community, people in your workplace, people in your, school, in your school, in your class that need Jesus Christ and they don't even know they need Jesus Christ. So you shouldn't be afraid. 
that you should be urgently pressing on to share the gospel with people who need to hear it. Verse eight, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. I love this idea. We've talked about this a little in the past because I love science fiction and and God exists outside of time and we are people that are driven by time. We live and die with our clocks and our calendars and our schedules. It, It freaks us out when we are late or when we are missing an appointment or whatever it is. Why? Because we live and die with time. But God lives outside of time. So, so let me try to help you with this. It's easy for us to understand omnipresence. So God is omnipresent. What that means is God is everywhere all the time. He is with me and he can be with you as well, even as we depart and go our separate ways today. He was with our friends in Ireland at Hope Center. He was with our friends in Thessaloniki. He's with our friend, missionary partners all over the world, all simultaneously, okay? He's omnipresent. But he is also in all time at once. Yeah. And we should have great comfort in this. Think about this. Because there are things you're anxious and nervous about in the future. What is this gonna look like? What's gonna happen? What are my kids gonna do? Are we gonna be able to afford that? What's gonna happen with this job? What's gonna, you're worried about the future. Let me help you with this. God lives outside of time. So God is with me now and he is already in the future with me right now. What? Because he's outside of time. He's with you already. He is with you. He's looking after you in the future right now because he's outside of time. So God looks at time differently than we do. We should have urgency about lost people in our world and on our area, but God doesn't feel like he's taken too long. Why? Because a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. I've had staff that felt that way. (laughs) That's why they were never on time for things. It's like, oh, hey, you're just like God. (laughs) So guys, when you're you're frustrated with your wife because she's always 20 minutes late every time you want to go somewhere. She's just being like God, that's all. <laughs> Moses actually wrote in the Psalms, he said that before the mountains were brought forth or, even had, uh, he had, or God had even formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Before the things that we see in the known universe, God was. And he is everlasting to everlasting. So he doesn't get hung up on time the way we do. So why is he taking his time? Listen to verse nine. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promises, some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God is not time focused, but God is people focused. And this is where we need to understand the time so that we can be people focused as well. So we can see, hey, my boss looks like an impediment to my life. He makes my life miserable, but maybe God has put you in that job you're miserable in so you can speak life into your boss so that he might come to faith in Jesus Christ. You're you're in situations every day where you're like, God, why is this person? Maybe you're not in relationship for your benefit, but for their benefit. Because Jesus is 
people-focused. He loves people. God loves people so much that he's delaying the return of Jesus so that one more can know him. One more. Just one more. Can we, can we find one more? And this is what spurs us on as a church. <laughs> we want one more. There's 47,000 people in Indiana County that don't go to church anywhere today. They have no religious affiliation. We got room for one more. I told somebody this last week, I was talking to a pastor of another church in North Dakota, and we were talking about rural ministry. He said, man, you guys have a big church. I said, well, kind of. I said, it's easy for us to count and go, oh, we got a big church. Or we could look and look at the lost people in our community and realize, no, our church stinks. Because <laughs> there's 47,000 people who need Jesus Christ. And we can pat ourselves on the back and go, oh, we're doing a good job. Or we can realize, no, 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 the job's not done until the number is zero. So you can pat yourself on the back and go, well, I'm going to heaven. But you need to ask yourself, am I taking anybody with me? Jesus is waiting on God to say, go. And God is waiting for one more. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. This is hard stuff, but it is true. And Peter says, that the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. And he actually uses this language that he heard Jesus use in Matthew 24. Matthew 24, Jesus said, hey, there's gonna be two guys working in a field and one is gonna be taken and one's gonna be left behind. And there are gonna be two women, they're gonna be grinding flour in the mill and one's gonna be taken, one's gonna be left behind. Literally like that, they're gonna be gone. They're not gonna know where they went, they're just gonna be gone. And he said, this is what's gonna happen. Jesus describes this. And he says, so keep watch. And this is important for us because we'll come back to this idea. He says, keep watch, be vigilant for you don't know the day when the day of the Lord is coming. And he says, understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. So here we are in Western Pennsylvania. And I know a lot of you and I know a lot of you in Blairsville. And I know that you have a, a stockpile of small arms in your home. <laughs> that if, if a, a small army came to invade your house, they would be repelled by the armada you have in your home. You have weapons of war, you are ready for action. And there's nothing wrong with that. The Second Amendment allows us to do that. So there's no judgment. But here's the thing. Some of you are ready for somebody to break into your house. You're thinking to yourself, I know what I would do if I hear a noise in the middle of the night. I know what I'm getting. I know how I'm defending my house. I know what I'm doing. Good for you. A lot of people will get a, an alarm system for their house to protect their house, protect their family, protect their stuff. And some of you, have weapons, you have <laughs> crossbows, because that's gonna come in handy. You just <laughs> pin the burglar to the wall, <clears throat> right? Like, I don't know. You have a, a mace, You're not the mace, but like an actual mace that knights would use. You're just whooping them in the head with this, I don't know. Whatever it is, you're ready to defend your home. 
And if I told you, hey, I heard that a burglar is coming to your house, they're gonna be at your house at 2 a.m. tonight. You better believe you are going to be ready for that person to show up. You are going to Kevin McAllister your house to death, right? (laughs) You're gonna be ready for those jokers to walk in your house and you are gonna take care of business when they do. You're gonna defend your house. Listen to what Jesus says. After he says this about the, the burglar, he says, you must also be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. How come we spend so much time preparing for a burglar and so little time preparing for the return of Jesus? How come we spend so much time protecting our stuff and so little time safeguarding our souls? Because here's the thing. The odds of you getting your house broken into, relatively small. I don't know the exact number, but it's relatively small. But the odds of you facing judgment someday, 100%. It is going to happen. So why in the world do we treat this as if it's some fairy tale myth that may or may not ever happen? It's going to happen. We need to be prepared. Verse 11 of 2 Peter 3 says this, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. What holy and godly lives we should live because we know what's going to happen. Looking forward to the day of the God and hurrying it along on that day, we will set the, uh, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. Looking forward to the day of God. We look forward to it. Why? Because we have reason to celebrate. We have reason to look forward. He describes this a little in verse 13. But we're looking forward to the new heavens and new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. I, I said recently, I think we spend too much time focused on heaven in, that, um, in the material things of heaven. Uh, we get focused on the pearly gates and the streets of gold and the mansions. Anybody remember the old song? I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. No, I'm the only old person in this church. Whew, okay. Songs like that are great songs of the church and I appreciate those songs, but I feel like the focus is in the wrong place because we overlook the fact, because um, I've talked to people and said, hey, have you ever had a moment in worship where you just felt connected to God? That's what heaven's gonna be like. They're like, we're gonna worship all the time in heaven? I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe you don't get this yet. Like, I'm gonna have to stand up for, heaven, for all eternity in heaven? We don't get a break ever? Like, okay, you're missing it, my man. Like, we get focused on the wrong things. And, and look at what Peter says. He describes it, the new heaven and earth. He says it's a world filled with God's righteousness. He doesn't say, it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be epic, you gotta be there. So the last couple of weeks, we've talked some about the corruption in our world, that our world is corrupt. Top to bottom, there's corruption everywhere. And our, our natural inclination is to retreat from it and protect ourselves from it. Um, but God wants us to engage our corrupt culture so that we can win one more to Jesus. 
But, but here's how Peter describes heaven. He says it's a place full of God's righteousness. That the corruption that feels like it is just pressing in on us all around, that we feel like we're just trying to keep it at bay in our lives and in our hearts, and oh, it just feels exhausting. He, he said, no, 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 the new heaven and new earth will be marked by God's righteousness. We'll be free from the corruption of this world. We'll experience the righteousness of God in tangible ways. We will breathe it in like oxygen. Verse 14, and so dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Make every effort to live lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. There's another passage in Matthew chapter 24 I wanna to refer to. Jesus is describing the end days, end times, the last days. And he says in verse 45 of Matthew 24, he says, a faithful and sensible servant is one to whom the master can give responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. This is what we talked about earlier, that we don't have to fear judgment if we're doing what God's called us to do. Verse 47 says, I tell you the truth, the master will put the servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks my master won't be back for a while? I got plenty of time and begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk, the master will return unannounced and unexpected and he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And in that place that he's describing is hell. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. He said, they're gonna, God's gonna assign him a place with the hypocrites. And the word hypocrites is a word we've looked at in the past. Uh, the Greek word for hypocrites is, is hupokrites, and it means an actor, a stage player, a dissembler, a pretender. And this is really important because in Greek plays, what they would do is they might have only one or two actors, and they would play multiple parts. And the way they would do that is they would put on masks. So they would have multiple masks they would wear to play multiple parts. And this is what... Jesus says, these are the people that are in hell. The people that play multiple parts. They have multiple masks for different aspects of their life. And you know people like this. You might be a person like this. That you put on a mask. This is my church mask. And when I go to church, I'm going to put on this mask. And I'm going to play a part. And I'm going to play a role. And I'm going to say what I need to say. And I'm going to engage the people, but I'm wearing my mask. And now this is my home mask. And this is how I engage with my family and my kids and my wife. And this is my work mask. This is my friend mask. This is my, and we have different parts that we play. And what Jesus says is hell is reserved for people who play different parts, who have masks. Here's the thing. That's not even the focus of this part though. What he says is this wicked servant is gonna end up in hell, essentially. Why is the question? Well, because he was doing bad. Well, let's get to the bottom of this. Why was the servant doing bad things? He was beating the other servants and he was drinking, uh, assuming he was implied, he was drinking the master's alcohol, his wine, and getting drunk on it. He was doing things that the master had the right to do, but the servant didn't have the right to do. See, here's the problem. The servant forgot who he was. 
The servant thought he was the master. He thought the master, is, I mean, he's not coming back for a long time. I can live like the master because I got plenty of time. And he forgot he was the servant the whole time. He wasn't the master. When the master came back, there was judgment. And here's the problem. So many Christians all over the world, we say we're Christians, but we live like we're the master. You know, I got plenty of time. Oh, I, I'm the master of my life. Oh, yes, I want to go to heaven. Oh, yes, I love Jesus. We give that all lip service, but at the end of the day, we think we're the master. And we think Jesus is here to serve us. That's why we pray the prayers we pray. Jesus, give me. Give me this, give me this, give me this, give me this. Bless me in this way, make me healthy, give me everything I want, and I promise I'll serve you. That does not sound like a servant. What if you showed up to a restaurant today after we finish up, and you go to lunch, and the servant's like, hey, what would you like? And you give them your order, and you go, you know what, I'll give you that, but here's what you better give to me. If you give me everything I want, then I'll bring you your lunch. How about that? You'd be like, uh, no tip for you today, right? You don't understand how these roles work, is what you would say. Let me speak to your, your manager about this. But this is how we live our lives as Christians all the time. I'm gonna do what I want, I'm gonna live how I want. God, I'll do whatever you want me to do as long as it's exactly what I wanna do. If I happen to do your will while I'm doing my will, then it's a bonus. That's why when people stand up here and say they're going to Greece, we think they're superheroes. I got news for you. I love my daughter very much. She's not a superhero. She's simply doing what God has asked her to do. She's being obedient. And that's what we're all supposed to do. Every single one of us. Why? Because we are the servants, not the master. And the problem comes when we think we're the master and I can live however I want. I can do whatever I want because Jesus is here to make my life happy and better and easier. False. Let me move on. Verse 15, 2 Peter 3. And remember, he goes back to this remembering again. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him, speaking of these things in all of his letters. Let me pause here for a second. I love the fact that Peter gives Paul a shout out. Peter and Paul, they did not always see eye to eye. They had conflict between them at times. These pillars of the church, of the New Testament church, uh, they, the, Peter still takes time to, to credit Paul for his work for the kingdom, which I love. And I think that's something every church and every believer should model as well, that we are the first ones to give credit to other churches and other believers when they're working for God's kingdom. He goes on to say, some of his comments are hard to understand, and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture, and this will result in their destruction. Verse 17, you already know these things, dear friends, so be on guard. It comes back to this idea that we talked about from Matthew 24. Be on guard. The enemy is out to get you. He wants to steal everything you've got. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to undermine your credibility. He wants to rob you of joy and peace. He is out to get you. So be on guard. Then you'll not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as opposed to losing our secure footing, Peter says, no, 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 
I want you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He comes back to this idea that he talked about in week one. We are growing in our, the likeness of Jesus. We're, we're being shaped and molded into the image of God. But it doesn't happen easily and it doesn't happen quickly. It takes patience. Then he says, all glory to him, both now and forever. Amen. Man, there's a lot to go through here. But here's the thing. Peter wants us to be on guard. He reminds us several times, be on guard. Be on the lookout. Watch who you're letting speak into your life. Watch who, what you are consuming. Watch what you are listening to, what you are reading, what you are allowing your soul to feed on. Be careful of those things. And don't be a hypocrite. Don't live a dual life. It's a theme we've seen over and over and over. This is a challenge that we have today. And the question comes back to this, who's the master? Are you the master? Are you the boss? Are you calling the shots? Are you the servant? Are you the one saying, God, send me where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. Even Peter, at the beginning of this letter, 2 Peter 1.1, he says, the person who wrote this is Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. This is what he says. He identifies himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. There's something we read with our baptism candidates, and maybe you've paid attention, maybe you haven't, but we read Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 11 to them, and then we ask them some questions. And if they respond in the affirmative, then we'll baptize them. And the questions we ask are these questions. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and through him, through him alone you can be saved from your sins? Do you believe that he died on the cross, was buried and rose again? Do you believe that he has all dominion and power and authority over everything? And because of that, are you willing to go wherever he asks you to go and do whatever he asks you to do? And this last question is a question that's all about lordship. Who's the master? If he tells you to go, are you going to go? Because this is kind of the minimum standard. This is what Peter's asking. Who's the master? It's what Jesus is asking us today. Who's the Lord? Who's in charge? So I want to turn it over to our hosts in Blairsville. They're going to close out our time. They'll give you a chance to respond. I love you guys very, very much. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. So today, this is um, straightforward, but it's not easy. Who's the master? Are, are you living a dualistic life where you're playing different parts for different people to keep them happy and keep them entertained with your life? Maybe you've been living a life where you're the boss and you're the master and Jesus is just here to serve you. That's not how it actually works though. And both of those lifestyles are exhausting. They will wear you out. And Peter invites us to a better place. He invites us to a place where we're walking with God. We're walking on the path with God, growing into his image and likeness. And that's what I want for you guys today. And so if you would, bow your head and close your eyes all this place. God, thank you for loving us the way you do. Thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for chasing after us. When we were so lost and so far gone in our sin, your relentless love for us chased us down. 
And so today I pray that there'd be no condemnation. I pray that there'd be no guilt, no shame in this place, that your Holy Spirit begin to draw us to you. And God, I pray for those of us in this place that recognizes that we are being hypocrites in the way we live, that we are playing a part. God, convict us of that, show us that. Help us to change. God, I pray for those of us here that that we've been living our lives as if we're the masters. Let today be the day we surrender to you, that we say, you are Lord, I am not. That we will say, I'll go wherever you want me to go and I'll do whatever you want me to do. God, I pray that we would not be satisfied. We wouldn't be placated with this, this fake Christianity where we just show up to church and we sing some songs and we go home unchanged. God, change us, transform us. Make us different for your glory today. Now with nobody looking around, your head bowed, your eyes closed. If you're here today and you'd say to me, Mel, I know I'm not serving God. I'm knowing I'm I'm not in relationship with him. I've been playing multiple parts. I've been wearing multiple masks. I'm sick of it. I can't do it anymore. I'm exhausted. I've been living as the master of my own life. I've been calling the shots and it's gotten me nowhere. I can't do it anymore. Today I need a change and I need to submit to the Lordship of Jesus. I'd love to pray for you. If you wanna be included in that prayer to surrender your life to Jesus today, would you be bold enough to put your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. If you'd say, Mel, pray for me, today's my day. Yeah, thank you on my left. I see a couple of hands, thank you. Who else would join these and say, Mel, include me in that prayer today? Yeah, thank you on my right, I see you. Yep, thank you on my left. Yeah, thank you in the back, ma'am, I see you. Praise the Lord. Just a few more seconds, who else would say, that's me, Mel, pray for me. Include me in that prayer. Yeah, thank you on my far left, I see you. Thanks, buddy. I see you. Awesome. Awesome. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so I want us to pray a prayer together. I'm going to give you the words to say, but this is not my prayer. This is your prayer. You're going to pray this from your heart to God. And he's going to receive this and he's going to change everything today. So let's pray this prayer together. Whether you raise your hand or not, say this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your only son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. Today, I repent of my sin. I turn away from my old life and I surrender my life to you. I'm done being the boss. I surrender to your Lordship. Use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. Listen, if you prayed that and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, Scripture says you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So we want to help you take the next step in your faith journey. If you would, take one minute. Literally, it'll take one minute. Fill out the card that's in the seat back in front of you. Let us know about the decision you made today. Or if you'd prefer, you can simply text Summit PA to the number 94000 and follow the prompts. And we're going to get back to you. We'll connect with you. And, and we'll help you take the next step. But whatever way you respond, please take one minute and stop by our next step table when we finish here in a minute. Our team's gonna be there. We'd love to help you. And this is the beginning of a journey. We've been talking about a path that we're on and we wanna help you walk the right path. And so help us help you do that today. And so um, we'd love to help you with that. Please take advantage of that.
Here's what's gonna happen right now. Pastor Todd's gonna lead us in a final song. And while we're singing this last song, some of our prayer team's gonna be available on either side of this platform. And if you need prayer for any reason, our team is here today. And we would love to pray for you and believe with you. Whatever your, your issue is, whatever your problem is, whatever miracle you need, we believe God can take care of it today. So let us pray with you before you go. And even after we're dismissed in a moment, our team will stick around and we'd love to pray for you. So why don't you stand to your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go today, guys. Now, stop by and visit with our lovely and talented ministry partner out in the lobby. She'd love to visit with you today. And, uh, and just know, I tell you every weekend, but man, I mean it so much. I love you guys more than you know. And I'm so glad. So glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. We'll see you soon. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.